3: Welcome to it, weekend editions here at Tailbar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. all in this morning. Uh, well, frigid Saturday, but a bit of a thaw in comparison to the week. And uh, we welcome you in. Busy show. We'll rewind with uh, Coach Rick Kaczynski. Talking uh, truth or rumor when it comes to playing in that uh, frozen tundra moment out on the gridiron. Uh, A lot of recruiting thoughts today and uh, we'll mix in some volleyball and some hoops as we grind through February. Numbers to get in 466-3776 466-3776 800-825-5865 Find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Mark Skurs. And at herbal essence for Elijah. So, uh, hour two, we'll run down Brandon Vogel and we'll say hi to the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. In tribute to the uh, uh, Nebraska football social media department, Crane, did you fire up any midnight dodgeball last night?
0: I did not even see that latest uh, latest video that they put out. Dodgeball, huh? Like, at all? Let me, let me hold on. Let me let me just think. Let me let me let me uh, go. Let me go back through here. You're, right. You're oh, all right. Bu- 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 uh, yeah, no, no, no! I did see it. I did the, the one in yeah. on the turf in the uh, in the in the indoor oh.
3: facility. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where where, I did see it. where poor Mario Verdusco looked and felt like every awkward eighth grader.
0: Right? I, 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 that wasn't a big surprise. No. Yeah, like well, if if you're just sitting there thinking like, all right, who's going to get picked on dodgeball team. <laughs> Verdusco is
3: not the one that, you know, jumps at the top of the list. Oh, I, I he's a wanted man is is what jumped, he was. He was he was top five on who's going to be targeted for me just be, because he's he's just a good little dude. And. He, he's got his jacket and his backpack on and he's trying to wind up and and throw. And the next thing you know, there's three speeding spears coming at him. So it was it was pretty funny. And how, how about the fact that they went old school too with those like red rubbery like Voight balls? Yeah, like the one they've they've outlawed now. Somehow there's <laughs> right. a stash of them those, down at the ox <laughs> <Hawk> center.
0: <laughs> those have been outlawed for like a decade. So you know that all those kids like, none of
3: them have actually ever played with They've them. They've just heard about them.
0: <laughs> They're like, oh, my God. That's brutal. I could have destroyed some kids back in the day. <laughs> even
3: back in junior high before, you know, when you and I were doing the junior high thing. And, I mean, those were great. We could even palm them then. You know, you, despite whether you had the the NFL prototype hand size in junior high or not, you could still palm those bastards and and get a good wind up, like full body, crow hop, center field, forget the cutoff guy. Let's just airmail one to home. You know, I actually played on a dodgeball team about oh god, is
0: it ten, fifteen years ago? Like I an thought adult you, yeah, I thought you might. An adult rec dodgeball team, Sundays. It was co ed. It was brilliant. I'll <laughs> tell you what, because the, here's the thing that about it that was so cool that everybody realized like spandex. Well, as soon as you hit the court, <laughs> everybody on the court is cheesing out, smiling. Like, everybody. And you're just like, why is everybody so damn happy? That and and then you just kind of realize, you're like, well, the reason why is because they just... At some point in life, you were you were just told not to play dodgeball anymore. Or, or the or the gym teacher just stopped rolling out, the, and so you just quit. But it doesn't mean you didn't like it. Like, I can't remember ever... Going through a time in life where I was like, I wish, I hope I don't have to play, play dodgeball again. It just, it just left your life sort of quietly without you even knowing it. And so then to fast forward, you know, however many years later, and to actually play it, everybody's like,
3: this is great, and you're throwing it at people's faces. It was amazing. And then you go out for beer and wings after. That I'm part sure.
0: made it good
3: too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it it was great. Uh,
0: there's some people that are like the Matrix though. Oh my no, god. No, I know.
3: And some of these people. Yeah, those guys are on the Ocho now. Right. And that's what's <laughs> there's a few guys that were on Nebraska's Real. squad that were, were were going Neo. We're able to to uh to how low can you go <laughs> bending your body, dodging uh that uh that speeding ball. But yeah, so pretty good, feel good moment for uh the Nebraska football and it it was because... Cool we were talking to Gary Barnett this week about, you know, what are some team building activities that you do to uh, to kind of break up the the grind of of winter conditioning? Throw freshmen in lockers, right? So there's there's some of that good natured <clears throat> hazing, I'm sure. But the other Swirlies. right, the other side of it is Northwestern had Viking night where they would do a lift off where at midnight they would, uh, they would just have a weightlifting contest and they'd break it down. I think by position group to see who can just throw up the most weight. And then they, they brought in this 15 foot grill. So all sorts of carnivore explains activity. things. That yes. Plains things. They'd be doing steaks okay. and and turkey legs, and they would go medieval, where you get done squatting a grand probably. Husker players over here doing yoga. Well, yoga's uh, underrated, quite frankly. <laughs> no, I know it, <laughs> but but yeah, back, at, back in back in the day,
0: crafted a football team in Northwestern.
3: Yeah, at Northwestern. They're doing Viking night where they started midnight. They're throwing up weight, and then. Go grab yourself two t-bones on on you know breaks between sessions. So Nebraska's
0: doing vinyasas. That explains things. That explains overtime. a
3: Couple okay. of years ago. So you're 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 chalking it up to just what type of moods associated with, the, with it's the, not upward dog and
0: down. It's not Zen. It's Vikings.
3: Someday we'll get to that football Zen, kranak Big day today with. Uh, some in-state announcements. And, you know, we've both been fortunate enough to uh, spend time around Steve Warren. And we've seen and covered him not only at Nebraska and watched him in the NFL, but we saw what he's done for the state and then the community uh, in, in Omaha with with Dream Foundation and the, and the mentoring and the after-school programs and and helping families in need. And, and then that's also uh, the, the, the after-school side of of training, a facility now, and then just great coaching and mentorship on the field with kids improving their agility, their speed, their strength, and really the who's who from around the state, the region. And this is not a paid endorsement for Steve-O. It's just what, what happens. You look at kids that are going D1. Or getting great looks, they they find a way to to get to the Warren Academy, yeah. And
0: Thomas Fedoni
3: is one of them, right? Right, Fedoni, and even kids that have ended up going uh, elsewhere, Iowa or Notre Dame in state or or Oregon, have have spent time there. But you've got uh, in state talent that's really getting crafted and developed uh, on their own uh, with this uh, this training regiment they're on and. Uh, They are bigger, stronger, faster, and Nebraska is no longer a secret. Nebraska is no longer flyover. Nebraska is an open border for programs around the country to check out. Huddle helps with that as well. But today uh, you're going to see an announcement here of a top five as we shift towards 2022 recruiting. And you've got Omaha Central lineman Deshaun Woods, and you have Burke linebacker Devon Jackson. Uh, And then you've got uh, some Bellevue West studs, of course, with uh, Micah Riley Ducker and Kadeem Helms. And then Ernest Hausman from Columbus. I watched Columbus play this year, and Hausman was so much fun to see get after the quarterback. Such an athletic guy. But, you know, uh, it's a different contrast uh, with uh, what the, the prospects are for Nebraska to land these 2022 kids and also the 2023 crew. Uh, it's just different. There's just not a lot of, uh, n- I won't say Nebraska love, but but these kids aren't really drawn towards Nebraska, similar to when Nebraska got here with the, uh, the Hickman and Henrich situation out of Burke. Nebraska day one came in, made them a priority, got them to Lincoln, and we feel pretty good about uh, Henrich, and we'll see what Hickman can do as he goes back to tight end, but... Uh, You know what? going to be a battle, and I don't know that Nebraska is going to have a winning battle with uh, this Nebraska Five group for 2022. Maybe one, maybe two kids end up in Lincoln. A long time between now and December, but a lot of the recruiting experts don't expect to see Woods or Jackson have Nebraska in their top five today.
0: Yeah, it's a a bit of a perfect storm. It is somewhat concerning, but I think it's more of a result of how the last— Ten ish years. I have think gone? you're right on. Right? It's it's. I look and F- Coach Frost and the the current program hasn't done anything to turn it around in terms of just wins. I mean, just haven't. Right? So if you're one of those top shelf kids and you know you're seeing what's going on in Lincoln, you're reading all the vitriol, all are you're, <laughs> you're hearing about all the frustration.
3: Well, what are you seeing on Saturday? You don't
0: ha- and you don't have a connection. Here, outside of just living here now, because um, it sounds like both kids have, you know, family or, um, you know, time spent away from Nebraska, where they just don't have that allegiance. And then the the team isn't winning enough, and hasn't won enough since in their formative years to even to to change that. That's kind of where you're at. That's what, that's where, you, you know, th- couple that with the pandemic. Where Barrett Rood can't go on site, can't go to high can't hang out at the high schools, can't develop that relationship, you can't have kids on campus. Difficult. I mean it's it's kind of a perfect storm. It's a but look to 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 act like it's not a loss, or to act like, oh well, whatever, they're just not a good fit, and and no. Now Avante Dickerson, to me, that was a little bit of a different story because honestly, if you watched him play. I, I didn't see how he fit in a Travis Fisher secondary. I just didn't. Like, you know, he he's because he's just not a he's not a physical player. And that's not a it's not a knock. It's just, you know, if you just watch, watch him play, he's not a super physical guy. And and that doesn't really jive with Travis. So that one, him going to Oregon, I think it, he he fits them perfectly. Like that's a good fit for him. These other ones, eh, you could use Jackson. You could use Woods. <laughs> you could use those guys. That's I. It's it's a loss, but but I also don't know if it's red alert status. It's just time to freaking win, you know. You, you start doing that a little bit more, we're probably not having this conversation if there's no pandemic. They'd probably make the top five, well, just, just by force of personality and developing a relationship. Let's flip- but the, it's been hard for them to do do the, uh, you know. to to forge any kind of connection with them.
3: Let's flip it around a little bit, too. And from a pandemic standpoint, Nebraska did an amazing job. And I'll say that the the kids in the the 2021 class did this, where the Pro and Harburgs really went out of their way. This group and this large group of early enrollees uh, made it a point to kind of be in fedoni's hip pocket right when you look at the 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 schools recruiting fedoni and you've got iowa there with their history of tight end development for the nfl or notre dame and lsu i mean fedoni couldn't couldn't physically go visit because of the pandemic and when it comes to vicinity and closeness to home you know, there's Council Bluffs, there's Omaha, then there's Lincoln, and then there's this group of dudes that just wouldn't let him get away within his own class, and that's one instance with with some of the the, the local kids. Who knows how 2021 goes if some of these other kids can go visit? I mean, we know about Dickerson on his own dime going out to Oregon, right? Um, th- there's enough film out there to to get a, a number of D one offers for a Harburg get out of Kearney. But when push came to shove, it it, it it can work both ways, right? Where with this pandemic you're you're kinda locked in and you can't travel for the official visit, uh, which can maybe help sway staying closer to home because you, you just you just gotta accept, all right, here's our virtual tour. Right, great, right. right. All right, sweet. Or yeah. you, uh, you, you find a way on your own diamond. That's not easy for a lot of families. And I mean, this thing got pushed back again—the recruiting dead period—to May thirty first. So I think it's it's double edged sword here. And yeah. uh, what you touched on about not being able to kind of be in Omaha as much as you can be with uh, a lot of these a lot of these kids for the twenty twenty two class is is not ideal for Nebraska, but. Nebraska can make uh, their own argument with uh, some development, some wins on Saturday, and, uh, you know, proof in the win-loss column that that things are getting turned around. And they can leave an impression before this next early signing day that's, you know, 11 months away.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not for lack of trying. I think there's a couple players over the. Year. Harrison Phillips is one of them, defensive lineman for the Bills yep. that went to Stanford. You know, Nebraska screwed themselves there because they didn't recruit him properly. They didn't treat him with respect. The offer came in way too late. You know he th- that was just after the Sioux years, and so I think the thought with the staff at the time is he didn't have the I don't know certain physical traits that they were looking for. You know their prototype, and so they they punted on him and. They lost him, and look—he's in the NFL still.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> you know, he's like that was a huge miss because you didn't really, you didn't really try hard enough there. Noah Fant—that—that that recruitment got often not a very good start by a, a defensive line coach, if I'm not mistaken, that was here for a year and gone under Riley. That—that <laughs> um, that kind of messed up that relationship. So th- there's at least none of that going on. Right. It's 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 not for lack of trying, but, you know, kids have their own set of uh, reasons why they do or don't want to do things. Um, and anymore, it just has. I, I think you touched on it. The, the the fact that Nebraska is more open than it ever was before, whether that be because of technology, ease of travel, social media, wh- whatever, that that wasn't always the case. You know, Nebraska enjoyed relative anonymity with their players before there. There weren't a ton of of other schools that came in and, and tried to recruit here, but it's easier to do now. It's easier to recruit wherever the players are. Other programs can easily go in and recruit and Nebraska benefits from that. Like Nebraska has been poaching a lot of good players out of Iowa. You know, they've been poaching a lot of good players out of Kansas. So Nebraska does it, too, and I don't know. I, I just do. I just don't see it as a huge indictment on the on the current operation as much as I do see it as an indictment on how the last 15, 20 years have gone. <laughs> it's it's right? it's That's been just, a gradual decline in. Yeah. and I guess you haven't given them a you haven't given a compelling enough reason. There's not a compelling well, enough just, reason outside of big crowd sizes. Kids proximity just don't to home.
3: What are you selling? Kids just don't grow up. I, I never thought I'd say this, but it's been evident in my own house. You just kids, kids all. I look at my, my, my kid and his buddies. They love football. They play football in somebody's front yard as often as they can. They love doing it and they kind of pay attention to Nebraska. There's pictures of them when they're four or five, six years old at tailgates, you know, during the Kenny Bell years. And again, that's now seven years removed (laughs) and uh, there's just not the you and I, bro, we bounced out of the rack every morning growing up just with our families putting a red sweatshirt on and it's just it's just not that way. I mean, the the attachment, I think once they start winning can absolutely grow to a full bandwagon of. The next class of young Husker fans slash potential players, right? But it's uh, it, it's not the same attachment now because of the win loss situation, and yeah. and kids are you have social media, you have the internet, you have the ability to to check out things. So many different spots. I mean, there's there's just uh, there's it's okay, but there's just more of a worldly view. I think with a lot of young kids, which is that's cool, you know.
0: Um, hey, and, and I don't know if you experienced the last week or so here. Uh-huh. It can kind of suck in Nebraska sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> if you have the chance to to
3: bounce out of here, You mean, when you're telling you know? me it's more it's it's warmer in Nome, Alaska than than it is in Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, no, I I hear you. I think it's some in-state kids though. And the one guy, and I know Coach Frost was like when we talk early, early 90s, in state, can't miss, got to get get him. And, you know, Stanford, with a little help from Joe Montana and Bill Walsh, uh, you know, win that initial recruiting battle. But a guy that I heard a ton about that I was wondering, okay, this guy's like going to be as good as advertised. Amon Green, Omaha Central. Yeah, I'm like, dude, they they can't not get this, this green dude. I mean, we were both in high school at the time, but <laughs> we saw him run on a Friday night. I mean, he was incredible. And you look at the championship teams Nebraska had, right? I mean, they had a ton of Nebraska help starting yeah. on those championship teams, either on the defensive side of the ball, uh, like a Terry Keneally or... Uh, And Eric Stokes, okay, or uh, you you, you go later back, John Hess or Eric Anderson, um, just uh, Dishman. I mean, just go through, you know, go through the list. Damon, Clinton. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. thank you. Damon Benning, Clinton Childs. uh, Tony Veland. We're pretty big. I mean, yeah. And then uh, Phil Ellis at linebacker. I mean, so. That, that Nebraska impact was very Zadiska's. real. Yeah the, yeah, the pride of East. Rob Zadiska, Dr. Rob right there, was, uh, was, was key. Davison, Reggie Ball. Like, yeah, there was a lot. Was a lot. I mean, that, those, are, those are names that made plays, and then, you know, your cherry on top's Amon running the football. <laughs> and and with, yeah. with Schlesinger or Makovica leading the way. Yeah,
0: yeah. And th- there is a bit of a resurgence going on that's worth noting. Um, just in terms of sort of sheer Division One talent. Yes. It's
3: like, 30, could, it's like 30 years ago.
0: And, and I think it does have a lot to do with, like you mentioned, the Warren Academy. There's Explosive Edge. The, the training in general has gotten really good. It's gotten really, really good. And most of the key players are participating in that. They're shaving off you know, tenths of seconds off their forties, they're gaining 20 to 30 pounds of muscle mass. Like they're training at a very high level. Whereas before I think it was more just, you know, there's a lot of three, four sport athletes, but you got guys specializing in this stuff. Now taking it seriously, getting on the camp circuit, getting noticed. They're more accessible than ever before. And then just, you're just seeing a, a, a large pool of talent come back. And there was some, there were some, some, slim years for a while where there'd be maybe two or three division one capable players out of the state of Nebraska. Now you're, you know, you're a good solid eight to 10 annually now, if not more. Well, and for whatever reason, tight ends are just sprouting up like crazy in the state of Nebraska. Well, they kind of started with Fant, but now you got, you got Helms and, and, and Ducker out of, out of Bellevue West right now, two division one tight ends on one high school team. You got the kid out of Pierce, class of twenty twenty three, just finished his sophomore year. He landed an offer, I, th- I believe, yesterday, right, <laughs> from Nebraska. He's already offered by Iowa State, right? So, like, you you know, and you just had Carney, you just had Fedoni, Rollins. Though, I mean, yeah, even I mean, though if f- Roll, Rollins, who like nobody even talks. Oh yeah, the other tight. I mean, we just named seven Division one caliber, <laughs> caliber tight ends. Yeah, and and, and, all within, and and you don't, Fanoni's not in state, but might as well be. He's
3: in Council Bluffs, right? Um, That's pretty incredible, too. Mark Cranach, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Weekend Edition. We'll see how uh, the in-state progress continues with that Nebraska attachment. And uh, you got a top five announcement today, Deshaun Woods and... Devin, Jackson, Burke, and Central products that, bless their heart, didn't didn't even get a play. Didn't even get a play last fall.
0: Nebraska not expected to be in the top five for either of them.
3: We'll rewind here with Coach Kaczynski next on Hale Varsity Weekend.
0: Early to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's
2: Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranich.
3: Back to you, tail City, Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's get caught up with Rick Kaczynski, coach at Nebraska and Iowa. Kaz, uh, true or false, snow and sub-zero temperatures, perfect for football. Myth or reality? That's a myth, bro. I don't care how <laughs> tough you are. <laughs> right?
4: right? Fatigue? Fatigue in cold makes cowards. Out of all of us, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, that's a uh, that's that's a myth. I think Schmitty, that uh, that Nebraska Iowa game in 2012. I think that's the coldest I've ever been in my life. I, I remember walking out in pregame, and I went over and uh, I was talking to uh, I was talking to JP, and I'm like. Somebody's going to die. I'm like, we shouldn't even play this game today. It was – I don't know what – I don't i don't think the temperature was, like, below zero. I don't know. It was probably the wind. That was the coldest football game that I had ever been a part of in my life. It was awful. I mean, credit to both teams. I mean, that was a hard-fought game. It was an ugly, it was an ugly game, but good Lord. Man, you had to be a tough dude to – uh to hit uh, bash your head to another human being on that day.
3: Well, that's my thing. I I didn't go to that. I've never. I've been to Iowa City, but I have not gone to a Nebraska Iowa game in in Iowa City. I I, I will do that once this stupid pa- pandemic goes. I plan to do. Uh, my buddies uh, from near Iowa City uh, that I golf with, Iowa Russ. So he's a big Hawkeye guy, and uh, we're gonna go drink a lot of beer uh, on a Friday, and then and then go go to the game Saturday, and. But long and short of it is, yeah, my dad and my brother, because my brother was living in Ankeny, and, Mm -hmm. and they went, and my dad, bless his heart, I mean, he lived through the 70s of the Oklahoma-Nebraska game, you know, the day after Thanksgiving or around late November yep. where everybody froze their ass off, and it was Jack mm-hmm. Daniels and Hope that got you through. And uh, But he's like, no, never again <laughs> am I going to a football. What is it about Iowa? Ames and Iowa City, Nebraska fans, like, still can't warm up from those two venues. Gosh, I, I, can't, I can't figure it
4: out. I mean, honestly, that, that game... Yeah, both games. Even the game in '14, um, that was it was it was it was brutally, brutally cold, man. But uh, yeah, I don't know if it's just that win, but I, I don't remember like um, Kinnick Stadium when I was coaching there being being a real windy stadium. Right. It's just uh, I guess it's just the luck of the, the luck of the draw. But I tell you that that game with uh, that series betwe- with with Bo and uh, our staff that was a that was a entertaining that was a enter, entertaining hard fought uh, hard fought series there man those so, were, those were such always something tough ball oh, games yeah, always man always something unique yeah always something unique to uh to those games you know with the exception of 2013 which I, which was probably the most unique all the stuff that was going on you know behind the mm. scenes with administration and things like that but we need about we need about an hour podcast to uh to, to talk about that one well we can, I, we, we, we can, go, we can go back <laughs> we can go back to the uh to, to to being on the plane um we'll go back there the talk to me about the state. plane oh let me tell you let me just say there were some people wearing uh wearing husker colors that were didn't seem real happy that uh, we had beat penn state in overtime so let's just let's just let's just say that we'll say the rest of it. We'll charge people to listen to the rest <laughs> of that story. <laughs> well, that was
3: a, that was a freaking blizzard you guys were in, and mm-hmm. I I got uh, an account from from the sideline from from somebody we we both know, and it was a situation where Bo was ticked off about special teams. He was letting Garrison have it. And and then you know, uh, was it Maher who drilled the winner? I forget who made the field goal.
4: No, it wasn't S- Maher. Smith, was it? right? Oh gosh, was it Smith? No. Uh, yes, Patrick. Yes, Patrick, yes. yes, yeah. He nailed it. He nailed
3: it twice. I know because there was a false start. That's that's what set Bo off. Somebody had a false start. They had to kick it again. You guys had to kick it again, and and uh. as soon as it hit, it splits the uprights, like Bo's wanting to hug and and like. Uh, Mr. Garrison is oh, like. I turned to JP. Vinny, me, me and JP
4: were standing next to each other. Uh-huh. And, uh, and literally the ball was going through the uprights. And I I turned to him. I said, let's get the hell out of here. Literally walked off the field. I literally, that was the conversation. And then, uh, yeah, we got in the coaches. we got in the coach's locker. And we, were, we were freezing our, uh, we were freezing our, our asses off. And then, yeah, just, uh, just a bunch of pissed off, angry, angry guys. And then, you know, you get around your players. And like I said, even though Penn state was a little bit, little bit down that year, um, you know, right after the Sandusky mm-hmm. stuff, I mean, they, it's still Penn state. They still had good players and you're playing in Beaver stadium. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we found, uh, we found a little, little joy there in, in Mudville after that win. And, you know, we get on, uh, we get on the plane and some folks walked past us and they honestly, they, they were grimacing. And I remember Bo turning, turning, and looking. It was it was Bo and JP, and then it was me and Terry Joseph. Always sat next to each other, and and uh, we always had cranberry juice too. Just cranberry juice. So uh, yeah, right. Just cranberry. Yeah. So for so me and T Joe, we sat next together. We sat we sat next to each other in the third row there and Bo turned around and he just said, "Did you see that?" and we just all shook our heads, man, you know, and that's kind of that kind of parlayed into the into the week uh, the week ahead of us. So, uh yeah, man, that's that was uh I know we're jumping around a little bit, but yeah, that uh, that was a that was a tough Iowa week. It was just, it was hard just kind of keeping the team together going into that Iowa game and, you know, God bless Ron Kellogg. Um you know, I mean, but uh, you know, you're you're down to your to your third quarterback, you know, and and we're we're battling our tails off, man, and we're beat up, and I mean, you talk about a skeleton crew. I mean, I think I think I went to that Iowa game in 2013 with uh, with five D linemen that that could actually play in the game. It was it was it was a wild deal, brother.
3: Well, and and the guys you did have were pretty young. I mean, yeah, you, you had some some really talented dudes, but. They hadn't seen a lot of starter rep snaps or at least, you know, because I remember Vincent having oh. a big game, but Vincent was, oh yeah, was really young, uh, and, and oh yeah, played really well, but yeah, that's just it, man. Uh, going from the big 12, covering this team to the big 10, where and the big 12 was was awesome, it was fun. and then you get to the big 10, and it's not just that everyone in a headset is pretty money. It's the other yeah. the other the other side of it being it's just a death march because oh you you just rock Penn State in overtime uh here's Iowa- you know here here's Iowa coming to town, uh and it's as cold or worse, and by the time it's November, everyone's just beat to hell i mean it's well, it's, it's just stacked on, on top of one another, of right absolutely
4: i mean i've been on I've been on both sides of it you know I, I, on the Iowa side and and the Nebraska side. And let me tell you, I mean, you are crawling. You are crawling to that game, crawling. And I, I in 2011, when we played, uh, we played um, in Lincoln uh, at Iowa. It, I mean, same thing. I brought two kids, Darian Cooper. Um, I came brought another D lineman, two redshirt guys, because that's that's what that's all we had. We were almost going to play two two guys that we had redshirted the entire season um, Riley McMahon and Darian Cooper, we brought them on the trip to Nebraska because we weren't sure if we had enough D linemen. And then, you know, right before the game, you know, we had a conversation saying, obviously that's not fair to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll move this backer here. We go to this package, but, you know, Rex, Rex had a career day. They got us, we, and you know, we, we, played pretty well. Uh, our offense couldn't generate a whole lot. And, uh, then Rex, they, they went unbalanced in the second half and, uh, they were just running ISO um, ISO to <laughs> uh, to the unbalanced side, and and we didn't we didn't have an answer. We didn't have an answer for Rex, and but I mean it. But I mean both teams, man. I mean we were just beat up. You know, there's ton of ton of respect. I mean, at, at mm-hmm. that point, I'm sure there is. I'm sure Nebraska's getting some of that now. But you know, those games were, they were they were bloodbaths, man. I mean, we were crawling, and then even 2012 um, 2012, we're playing them. Lose Baker. Lose Baker on the first series, mm. and I think we lost. Um, didn't we lose? Didn't we lose the center too? So I was think that, we lose was our that Jackson? I think so. Yeah. yeah. You know, We so it, we go to we go to Iowa City in 2012. We commit, you know we clinched the division. We got to play Iowa. You know they're struggling. We got out of there. I think what, it was a 13-7 win, and we mm-hmm. had to play lights out. We had to play lights out um, in the second half to regain control of that game, man. So.
3: Yeah, just wild times, man. Wild times. A few minutes. Rick Kaczynski's is with us. Hale Varsity Radio. Kaz, you mentioned the Iowa Nebraska showdown, and is there a a game that you either were part of at Iowa, Nebraska, or let's go back to Notre Dame that that's just kind of burned into memory? You've laid out some, but like a post game kind of a wow, I'm really enjoying this win. Well, you know, you, you I guess
4: when you, when you look at the ones you enjoy, you kind of bundle them all together. There's a few that stick out. I'll get to that. But, you know, as a coach and a player, you 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 know, you reflect on the ones that got away. I mean, the 95 Orange Bowl played Florida State at Notre Dame. And, uh, gosh, I mean, we were in control of that game. We're up 26-14 with about seven minutes to go, end up losing. We had, we had a punt return called back. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. And, um you know, defense just couldn't get him You know, Florida State realized that uh, they were Florida State, and and uh, I think we played a lot of man, and they just went up and down the field on the last two drives and ended up beating us. That's just one man you just wish you had back. And then Southern Cal, ninety six, we had we had beaten them I think ten years in a row um, at that point, and you know we're going in the score. Had a guy I'll say his name. He dropped the ball and fumbled. Malcolm Johnson would have put us up. Would have put us up by um, would have put us up by fifteen with uh, two minutes to go, and uh, you know they go down, score, and go for two tie it. We go to overtime. They beat us in overtime. So, you know that's just you know stuff like that is what sticks with you. But of course, man, the locker room. That's I mean you, you know I mean Norm Parker. He used to say it all the time, man. He's like you know you do it for the. He said we played Penn State in in two thousand. 2009 at penn state and it was supposed to be their revenge game from 2008 when we beat them on a last second field goal and and he talked to us all week uh to, to the defensive staff he said hey guys just look at your kids faces when we beat penn state fast and penn state had a really good team we go in there it's a whiteout they score on the first game of the First play of the game, 80-yard touchdown. I want to flip sidelines. I'm like, huh. I'm kind of pulling for Penn State. Penn, Penn, I'm like, this is cool. White out. I'm like, holy cow. I want to coach here. And then next thing you know, we just kind of, you know, he's throwing punches back and forth. Claiborne blocks that punt. And, uh, you know, we end up winning. And I remember going in that locker room and just, like, just remember Norm saying, you know, he's like, look at their faces, Ricky. And I was like, you yeah, know, it's, it's amazing, man, because it did. You know, we just, that – that Penn State game, the Orange Bowl locker room that year, and, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many. Same thing at Nebraska, that Northwestern locker room, um, you know, the Iowa locker room after uh, after we beat them in 12 to, to clinch the division. So, I mean, just there's just, just a lot of memories. I think Michigan, Michigan was special, too, in 2013. Um, you know that that was a hard, hard, hard-fought game. That was a cold game, and and once again, I know people say Michigan's down. Michigan's never. Michigan always has good players, and Michigan's always hard to beat. And you know, uh, Amir scored on an option play there, and it was just just great. I mean, you're going up that tunnel, that Bo Schenber Bo walked up. I mean, just just gosh, man, there's just so much history, and you're beating Michigan in the in the big house, and you're walking up with the Michigan players. And, you know, it's just a cool, cool deal. And I actually I think I have a video of of Bo after that game, you know, talking to the team. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of memories like that, man, you know, and uh, but yeah, I think more as coaches and players, you know, you're always looking at you're always kind of reflecting more on the ones that that got away. A little bit more than the ones that uh, that that you won, but yeah, there's some there's some there's some special memories. I remember beating Texas's ass down there. You guys know how that beat them on a last-second field goal in '96 down there. I think the, the heat index was about 123 on the field, and uh, we beat them on a last-second field goal. and And I had some I had some choice words. For uh, for a few of the Longhorn fans going into that locker, you remember that old locker room? You went underneath the stadium there,
3: Schmidt I, I remember uh, that one. I I know that they they would come out from, I don't know if it was south or north, and Bevo's tranked out of his mind off to the left, and <laughs> and, and that's it. I was down in Austin in '99, where Nebraska national title type team right that went 12 and one. So I went down yeah. there with my college buddies, and my, my cousin uh, was going to Texas. It's crazy. Uh, in the Schmidt household, right, you've got one cousin that went to Colorado, one that went to Texas that uh, they grew up in Houston. That's Cousin Dino's kids, and shout-out to Cousin Dino. I uh, love him dearly. <laughs> and, and we're down there, and, and, and my cousin, he lived in this, this setup, right? He lived next to one of the Bush twins, so we're playing uh-huh. beer, we're playing beer pong till all hours with one of the Bush twins, and it was it was great. And then like everyone's party, and McConaughey's on the sideline. Nebraska got even in the Big Twelve title game, but that that loss at the end was just we had great seats, uh, we had incredible yeah. seats, but it, it yeah. just, you were just like son of a gun. Now the the best part of that whole weekend. Was sitting down having a beer with Earl Campbell at his uh, barbecue joint on uh, Sixth Street. Oh, he's the
4: best. I mean, he's the best. I mean, he's he's the, he's awesome. He's the, he's the absolute best, man. Absolute best. But I I never got the,
3: the the locker room treatment. Kaz, we'll get you out of here on this. This is fun to chat some ball with you, Coach Holtz. And I've had him on the show a few times, and he's just he's so awesome to to, to hear his his storytelling ability. But he he is so wise, and he had to be a guy that the guys. I mean, not to go cliche here on you, but would run through the wall for because he was such a motivator. Is that fair to say about him?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you had to you had to earn your stripes with Coach Holt, but you also knew that there was a path to that. You you, you saw what the benefits were if you earn those stripes. So you came to work every, it's like your, it's like your dad. It's like that male mentor Mm -hmm. role model. You're always trying to, you, you want that acceptance. You want that approval. And once you got it, it was so powerful. And, you know, there was never a game at Notre Dame where, that I was involved in as a player where I thought, man, we don't have a chance. I mean, no matter what, I was like, you know, we're 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 in this game, man. You look to the sidelines, and you're like, okay, Coach Holtz is gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna figure this out for us, right? And that's how, and that's how we all felt, and or at least that's how I, I guess I can just mm-hmm. speak, I can speak for me. That's how, that's how. Hey, we'll see you later. I'm still at work here, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> that's how we, you know, that's how we all felt, and mm-hmm. at least the guys that uh, that I was around and, and respected, Coach, and. And he he knew the buttons to push, um, you know, I'm sure. And I, I had the privilege of working for him also. And I saw how he changed. You know, and I think that's, that's, that's what was great about him. He knew that he couldn't be the same coach at Notre Dame that um, – or, or couldn't be the same coach at South Carolina that he was at Notre Dame. And, you know, there's just uh, – and I think that's – that tells you about the guy. You know, he, he reads people, he reads pay, uh, players, knows how to motivate them. He knows their backgrounds, right? He knows about their parents. He knows where they come from. He knows what they're susceptible to. And, you know, you it's real easy to buy into him because, you know, you believe everything he says. You know, you believe this guy. If I listen to
1: him, he can, he can make me great.
3: Kaz, thanks for, for jumping on, brother. Back with you, Tower 2 Weekend Edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Good stuff from Coach Rick Kaczynski. Love our weekly chats with him. Mark Cranach, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herber. We welcome in Brandon Vogel, managing editor from HaleVarsity.com and magazine. You find him on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel and get his book, Dream Like a Champion with John Cook. Vogels, before we get into the... uh, Yeah, most thrilling moment uh, with, you know, college football described in two words. It's a fun little Twitter game that was played kind of on the opposite um, uh, spectrum of things that was floating around social media here. And Solid Verbal put this out and uh, without naming your team, describe your lowest moment as a college football fan into two words, well, I want I want the highest moment. So be thinking about that, Cranak, You too, and I'll, I'll have Billy one. C, huh?
0: Billy C, is that
3: your lowest moment?
0: Highest. That's, oh, that was great. Okay,
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. That was
3: great. I loved it. I love the uh, the inflection in that. Uh, I want to I want to get your your take on volleyball last night, Vogues, before we dive into some football stuff and. Man, the strain ne- okay this the strain is 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 also in the running but yeah. man I, I got home from my ball game and, and caught the tail end of, of nebraska minnesota and Gophers uh finish uh off nebraska last night they'll do a little brunch session tomorrow at 11 but man uh gophers 9-0 and they were able to to find ways and uh, Nebraska faced some some pretty tough deficits and put rallies together, but man, Minnesota just was was too good last night.
2: Yeah, uh, it was it was it was interesting. Uh, I don't after that, that first first set uh, where Nebraska lost twenty five fifteen. That honestly, like that, I I couldn't recall a team I, a time that I'd seen Nebraska volleyball look that out of sorts. Um, and then they, you know, they ended up losing the match, but kind of bounced back from there. I mean, total points, Minnesota outscored them by seven, mm-hmm. and that includes outscoring them by ten in, in the first set, which nobody does to Nebraska. So it was it, it a, a strange game. I mean, Stephanie, Stephanie Samity is an amazing, amazing player for Minnesota, as, as a lot of people saw last night, if they didn't already know that. Um, Lawrence Divers played really well. So I, I'm really interested in how Nebraska comes back from that, particularly with a a day off in between, because while they lost to the number five team in the country, uh, Nebraska entered at number four. um, I think they did some, some good things. And I think it's, it's the kind of game that can shake you up a little bit, but in a productive way. Um, And we've seen that happen with past Nebraska teams. It usually is like this, this early in the season. Uh, but it's also a strange season. So I'm pretty intrigued to see how Nebraska comes back.
0: In the post game, Coach Cook was talking about, you know, he talked about a few things that are highly technical that I didn't quite understand because he's John Cook and that's his thing. Um, but there were some some parts that did resonate with me. And a big theme he came back to was just playing hard. And he's like, I, I just think this team has forgotten how hard you have to play in the Big Ten as a result of their schedule. You look at Minnesota's schedule, they've already been at Penn State. You know, they came in 8-0. Um, ne- Nebraska really hadn't been tested. They'd kind of cruised. Uh, do you think that's part of it, is just sort of the overall kind of effort and intensity?
2: I, I, I think so. I think there's there's definitely something to that. Um, as, as you mentioned, going on the road to Penn State is, is, a, is a pretty nice advantage to have, um When then you have to go on the road and, and try and do it again at Nebraska, and like you said, Nebraska. Well, I had one weekend uh, postponed, and just Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana. It's not the it's not the lead up to that to the the highest level of of Big Ten volleyball, and I think within the games, you know, Nebraska dug itself such big holes in in. Well, really, all of those matches. The, the fourth set wasn't wasn't quite as as deep as, as the first three, and that's just uh, I think that that does kind of lend itself to to that line of thinking of hey, you got to be ready to go from from first serve each time out, um, and beyond that, so you take out those those kind of eight two starts and seven three starts. And again, there's still some good things there for Nebraska. So I I think it was kind of a powerful lesson for them of like, hey, this is what it's like at the top of this conference. And that means this is what it's like at the you know, the top top level of this sport in general. So now you know what it takes and just how thin those margins are. And I don't know if Nebraska had that kind of reminder coming in to you last night.
0: So Schmidt, a quick, quick No, it's fine. Here. Go for it. Sorry. Is Maddie Kubik involved enough? I think that was one thing that stood out to me. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, I know you follow them a lot closer than I do. But it just it feels like she's not quite as featured or involved as maybe she could be.
2: Yeah. Um, she could probably get a few more touches. I mean, that was the thing that stood out. I mean, if you watch the, the BTM broadcast, they were talking about it during Yeah, it. it was just how many swings – Sanity had and and whether minnesota wanted her to have that many um you know for the the most part i think being able to spread it around is is obviously a good thing but yeah she could probably use for some more she she really came in or came on late uh in in the match you saw that the second set the one that nebraska won i mean lord stiverings was just on fire and she's a little bit different. I mean, she, I think hitting percentage wise was pretty similar to, to what Samity was, but you know, Lauren different, middle blocker and you're just going to have, you're going to have less opportunities there. Um, So, so they do need, you know, having that just dominant force. So your best player on the outside is just a little bit more natural seeming, I think for, for how most teams play and what we're used to seeing, from from volleyball so i think that that's part of it but yeah they definitely try to spread it around and, and obviously defense is is <laughs> trying to oppose you as well and and that's where it gets tough because volleyball becomes really high level uh, once you starting start to get into the strategy of it um and it's probably something that's tougher I, I i don't claim to have an understanding of being able to watch a match live and be like oh this is what Minnesota's trying to take away but that might be part of it too
3: Vogues uh, to to Coach Cook and his success, his approach with the team today. You uh, got beat, and you got beat by a good team. How how will he go about corrections and being able to voice his displeasure with losing, but also get the kids to, to rebound where they're not. It's not like Nebraska hasn't lost; they just don't do it that often. All right, so uh, and they have as many big wins as uh, the mo- the teachable moments, so to speak. With you know a situation where they'll they'll lose uh, a match to a Minnesota or a Wisconsin, but th- they'll always like get better as the year goes on, and they're still really really good. at, You know, six and one on the year, so. What's what's Coach Cook's magic in getting a response against a, a high-level team after a disappointing outcome?
2: Yeah, I, I, I you know, you sent some frustration during the match last night just on the sideline, and I think that was because Nebraska was making errors it doesn't make all that often. You know, it's one thing to go up against a team that is your equal and just get beat, and, and that happens. Um but, and then this is just my read on it, um, and I, kind of, I started to think this when it, it looked like that match was not going to go to the Braves way, so about midway through. Well, right after that third set, when they had two set points and didn't close it out and ended up losing, uh, that was the moment. You're like, yeah, you, you, not a lot of teams come back from that. Um, but I almost, I almost think... he he, you're not glad to lose. And there were some frustrating parts of it. And I think it'll be a pretty rough film session at points for Nebraska, but in the past and with this one, I think you, you almost feel good that you're like, okay, like we have to, we know that's the level we have to be at eventually. Uh, and, And I'm talking about the level mentally and preparation wise and execution wise, so getting these matches along the way, and you're going to get a couple in the Big Ten. The league's just too strong that, that say, okay, we saw what happens when we don't do everything we're supposed to. And, and maybe we didn't have a chance to fully know exactly how high the level is. Even though this is a veteran team, each one has to sort of learn it for themselves. So I would guess that's probably... the biggest takeaway, but yeah, there's, there's going to be some, some stern intense moments I would imagine because they were just things there and Nebraska didn't do very well, particularly in that first set.
0: How have, uh, you know, you, you did bring back so many veterans and, you know, especially you get uh, Lexi back and you get Stivrons back and good bounce to their step. They, they're both in really good shape right now. Um, but how about, how about the newcomer Kayla out of, out of Missouri? She's a different sort of middle on the shorter side. Um, but what do you see her adding to the, to the team uh, after, you know, now a handful of games that you've seen seen her play in?
2: Yeah, I think she, she gives them a little more offense and that's what they've been trying to, to do there um, with, with kind of flipping and strategically using her and Callie Schwarzenbach who, who, is probably a little bit stronger on the defensive side at that second middle blocker spot. I thought I thought Kayla played really well last night for the most part. Um, she had a shot. I think it was in the third or the fourth set that well, it was the fourth set kind of kept things alive. That was just excellent. And I mean, and, you know, her athleticism kind of <laughs> jumps off the screen at, at times. So so I think that that's a big part of it. You know, she she reminds me. And not just because she's another SEC transfer, but in terms of Brianna Holman, she just kind of provides that spark of, okay, you know, we've, we've gone to Maddie last two times and we went to, to Lexi three out of four times before that. And, and Lauren's out this rotation. Um, she's somebody you can go to who can get you a kill. And I think last night was pretty important, even in the loss for, for her development, to be able to do that against a team like Minnesota, uh, she made some really, really big time plays. And I think that's kind of the biggest part. She just, uh, she has that playmaking ability that, that gives Nebraska another option.
3: Brendan Vogel's with us, weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio. And uh, we are uh, talking a little Husker volleyball. So let's uh, switch gears here. And uh, two words. Your best moment as a college football fan. I'll I'll lead off, and this was a special moment because it was my first Nebraska-Oklahoma game. And I, while I was in the stands, there was always something really cool about Brent Musburger doing Nebraska-Oklahoma, right? After Keith Jackson was, was there um, doing that, that game for, for years as well. But uh, it was... A game that was totally cold and gray in 32 felt like minus 32 because there was so much dampness at Memorial Stadium on the old turf. And Calvin Jones, I think, scores with four minutes left on a counter. And Nebraska had trailed, and they ended up coming back to win. And the the two words that were uttered that best – Hey, you know, the best expressed the joy we felt on West Balcony that day as we absolutely froze our ass off the Schmidt family was Hello Miami. <laughs> hello you, as, as Calvin Jones scores. Hello Miami. You know, it's like he's Larry King taking a phone call. Uh, Cleveland, hello. But uh, you know, there's a, there's a thousand bigger games, but when we flip it around from you know agony to to joy or best moment, uh, I got to go with Hello Miami, which was cool because that was the end game, man. Let's get to Miami for New Year's Day, Vogues, uh, If you're a Nebraska fan,
2: yeah, that's a, that's that's a good one. Uh, Mustafa <laughs> he has some good ones. Obviously, I think the flea kicker call, if I recall correctly, oh. I don't know if it boils down as nicely in two words. Uh, as, as that one. Uh, Mark actually took my top two choices. So um, I'm going to go with Corey Schlesinger. Oh, because I think if you say that, nice. that tells you what you need to know. And just so, so that Orange Bowl, obviously, it, it, it's, it's symbolic in so many ways, I think, for, for Nebraska football of that era, in that, well, one, you kind of finally exercise the demons after. Well, the the, the nineteen ninety four Orange Bowl, the previous Orange Bowl, and just the bowl losing streak going into that one. So there's that. There, there's there's what that play represented in terms of well how Nebraska played that whole time. It was you know grind grind teams down, and in the fourth quarter you're just going to be better. Uh, what what epitomizes that more than than a fullback scoring twice in the fourth quarter? It's a fullback trap. Um, which I think says a little bit some, something about kind of the genius, that the, the play-calling genius that Tom Osborne was. So there's a lot that I think you can bundle into just saying those two words. Um, Corey Schlesinger, fullback back at Nebraska, if you know, you know.
3: <laughs> that was so good. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the, the Davidson call, great tribute there. And then I can, I can still hear it, Pavelka screaming Corey Schlesinger. That's awesome. That's really good. Greyneck, you got one, or are you just keeping that to yourself?
0: Uh, I mean, it doesn't quite have the – it doesn't harken back to the championship years, but Mr. Sue, Ah, two words, Yeah, which was on the Thursday night Missouri game. You were at that. The announcers pretty much gave up pronouncing Indominican, and they just (laughs) referred to him as Mr. Sue the entire night. And he – you know, of course, obliterated Blaine, Blaine Gabbert crushed his soul. Incidentally, their teammates now on the Buccaneers. I bet you that's kind of awkward. Uh, <laughs> do you think they embrace after the Super Bowl? Win? No, I don't,
3: know? no, he's still hiding from him. <laughs> <It is. laughs> Twelve, 13 years later, he's still hiding from him. <laughs> I noticed Blaine grew out a beard. I think he's trying to, you know, uh, obviously, witness his protection or something. perhaps. Yeah. Mr. Sue, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Why, you got one? Uh, I don't have any memories of Husker football before 2005, so no, I don't have like good memories of Husker (laughs) football. (laughs) I guess I I could go with uh, Sue McCoy. Okay, there we go. That was good. I mean, even though, but the end though, that's like I could go with the the one second as being a painful memory. Yeah, yeah. That 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 whole game is just kind of ruined by the end that's a yeah ruined ruined at the end that's that's fair Vogues uh, some thoughts here we kind of touched on it uh, earlier this week but before we let you go you know with Nebraska and uh, in-state talent uh, kind of at a at a generational high you know what what's your take on where Nebraska sits for the the, the next wave of kids for 2022 2023 they they did really good work in 21 and also, back again when you look at uh, their, their, that first class with some kids that uh, that are still here.
2: Yeah, you know, I think everyone—it's—it's <laughs> it's become the topic this week. You know, everyone kind of sees that uh, this may, this isn't this probably isn't going to be one of the years where Nebraska goes five for five with the the guys that they want in state. And I and I, and I think the the bigger story still is that. We're in an era where there are five five guys that are you know FBS scholarship guys, and not just for Nebraska. Well, not just FBS, the Power Five. Um, you know, seeing in Michigan, seeing an Iowa, come in here and make offers and make offers early um, tells you that talent levels is is rising. Um, it's 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 hard to know what to make of it, and I guess until it actually happens, even though we all feel it's going that way. But you're going to have a lead year or two, I think, uh, it just naturally. Where, yeah, you know, it wasn't wasn't quite the right combination of factors to to land some of these guys. I mean, Nebraska's three-year trajectory based on the on-field results probably doesn't help a ton. Um, you know, the, the the kind of the biggest fly in the ointment for me with this is these are the guys that you can typically count on um not to not to be huskers necessarily but if you do get them um being close to home they're, they're much more likely to to stick around and finish their careers as as huskers so so that's the part that kind of hurts and and with just all the recruiting restrictions you know nobody can go to campus on an official visit coaches can't go out and see players it, it maybe hurts a little bit extra if nebraska does indeed losing losing some of those guys um because those are the ones you think, well, we could at least get the local guys. They've probably been here at least once before, and and, and that may not end up playing out this this cycle either.
3: Brandon Vogel's Brandon. with us. Go ahead, Kranek.
2: Oh, sorry. Um,
0: you, by the way, the basketball schedule coming out. Um, yeah. You know, Nebraska's kind of closing schedule. It's it's basically, you know, they got the game today against Purdue and then it, you start kind of an every other game or every other day uh, game situation for four um, where it's like, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, something like that. Um, I don't know what at this point. It's obvious, you know, Nebraska is not a contender in a in a very difficult Big Ten. Um, you know, you had the the postponed interruption, the the interruption of the season with COVID. What if you're, if you're coach Hoiberg and if you're a Nebraska fan, what, what is, how do you end this? what are you looking to accomplish down the stretch here? What are you trying to find? What are you trying to establish? What are you trying to assess? Because it, you know, obviously the current makeup, of course the postponements didn't help, but, you know, there's still something kind of fundamentally flawed about this team <laughs> being able to compete in this conference. What what are they what are they missing? What are they going to try to establish here down the stretch?
2: It's uh, that's a really tough one to to answer because I don't know. It's it's so strange. I mean, I think you're you're clearly seeing the uh, impact of. Fatigue with this team. Um, they they tend to be in games uh, in, in the first half, and they, you know, for the most part, <laughs> that tends to slip away as the as game drags on. So being off for a month and then coming back and having this super compressed schedule uh, would impact any team. And I think you're seeing that with Nebraska. I mean, it's it's not a very rosy outlook, but honestly, with the way the schedule sets up, like, I think, and, and you know, I think Cloyberg Bird kind of hinted at this at his most recent press conference. Is kind of just be happy for the games, like use the reps to get better. I, I think there's been enough. Um, and, I mean, Nebraska basketball has some some big issues to to address, of course. But you know, I was looking at uh, shotquality.com earlier this week, and and their their projected record based on just the quality of the shots that they are getting, I think was Eight and eleven. Um, so, so, still, you know, you don't want to be eight and eleven a year from now. But when you're sitting here at five and thirteen, or whatever it is at the moment, um, five and fourteen, you, you can look at that and be like, okay, we're doing some good things. Um, I actually, in the mailbag, is why that came up. I, I drew a parallel to, to football a little bit because football too is, is doing things that should lead you to success. You're just not getting there yet, um, and I think it's a little bit different for basketball just due to the unique circumstances of having to take that lengthy pause and then having to try to fit, you know, a month's worth of schedule into to, to three weeks. So for, for the breath basketball, I think it's kind of stay the course. Like, yeah, you hope some of these things get better. You'd like to see them finish games stronger, I think that would be a good sign that they're kind of bouncing back from having to take that break. Um, But for the most part, it's like, can they get maybe one or two of these games? But even more important than that might be just play well for 40 minutes. Um, That might be the ultimate takeaway for me as I watch these next few.
3: Vogues, uh, have a great weekend, dude. Thanks for jumping on and talking uh, some ball with us today. Appreciate your insight. Yeah, thank you. All right. Brandon Vogel, managing editor with us, com and Magazine, at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. A quick timeout, the Iron Horse. Uh, Up next is Gary Sharp. It's weekend edition, Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well,
2: Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to
4: bring
1: us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then, precisely
3: seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then, two more after that, every five minutes until one of us passes out. Oh, excellent <laughs> strategy, sir. Working through the weekend edition, Hail Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Get the podcast, download it, give us a review. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Hail Varsity Radio. Without further ado, we welcome in the Iron Horse. It is Gary Sharp time uh, with Hale Varsity. Sharpie, good morning, man. How you doing?
1: Good morning, boys. How we doing?
3: We're good. We are uh, hanging out. We've thoroughly c- critiqued dodgeball uh, and it brought us back to, you know, if you were on the winning team and you weren't the kid in gym class that got targeted, there was a smile that and smirk that came across my face watching the Husker social media uh, fun from this week. Recruiting's been a a topic this week. And uh, also, uh, something I I sent you a heads up on and and Vogel touched on a moment ago. I want your take. Give me a couple of words. Uh, Describe your best moment as a college football fan in two words, Sharpie. What are they?
1: Um... Gosh, I'm trying to remember the exact line.
3: Fifth down. Uh,
1: No, no, no. Um, (laughs) Ah, geez, I, I blanked on it. Whatever uh, Jim Nance's call was with Frazier on uh, on Tommy Frazier uh, not being stopped by Florida in the Fiesta Bowl.
3: You know how many how many tackles can one man break? Right. Yep. That 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 was cool. Uh, Vogel said 20 words, though. Just l- let him have his moment, Kranak. Uh, <laughs> you haul the monitor. Two words. You haul monitor. I said hello, Miami. Musburger and his red solo cop after Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> after Nebraska and Calvin <laughs> Jones beat Oklahoma 30 years ago. It's cool. That's that's one that. Krainak, you, uh you go back to your Missouri experience. Yeah, Mr. Sue. Jumped out to me. That was a that was a good one. That's how bad. they.
0: That's how the announcers referred to in Dominican because they didn't want to try to pronounce it as he destroyed
1: Blaine Gabbard.
3: So two more words that Nebraska God. Nebraska fans are anxious to hear: touchdown, Fedoni.
1: That wouldn't be bad. Uh, I, I, if if there's not plenty of those during during his career, something went wrong. Um, I, I, you know that's a that's a phrase that should roll off the uh, tongue. He's impressive. You know, back to. Your comment, Schmidty, about the dodgeball video. Remember the day when Nebraska football would release videos like that, and we would just watch it for enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's released, and every single thing is critiqued. On Mario Vujicic still wearing his backpack, uh-huh. uh, to how guys look, how guys throw a uh, you know a dodgeball. Um, I don't. Know. it you know what. It's uh it's nice. It, it gives you a little tease. Um, we, we get our spring football obsession filled with FCS football before spring football begins. Uh, you know, we got recruiting stuff going on. It's, uh, it's never-ending. At least it's kind of quieted down around Nebraska football. We haven't had the drama of the uh, first month.
0: Well, and Nebraska wins the offseason every year. You see a lot of chatter
1: about that on Twitter, too. Where You know, you know what, though? Someone asked me on my show earlier this week, and, and I may have brought it up. I think Nebraska should be really boring this offseason. Not yeah. intentionally, but but what are the storylines? I mean, you can only beat to death how they haven't reached expectations in three years, you know. And you're not going to be able to sell somebody, well, we got we got hope. No, I mean you're not going to be able to do that. Nebraska should just be downright boring this offseason. There's probably not going to be a lot of national chatter in the magazines. They're going to be fourth or fifth in the West, and that might be the perfect thing for this program.
0: It's mm, a good point, yeah, because it hasn't worked well when the expectations have been there. So. We might as well uh, change that. Well,
1: and I want to tell be... you this. I, they're, they're, so, players and coaches alike, they understand that when they say something these days, people roll their eyes, and I think they've gotten to the point, and, and it's, it's also internally, of we can't really say much until we do it on the field, because that's where we're judged, and we're okay with it. And I think we should all be okay with it, but it's football. We love the program. We love covering the program. We'll eat up any morsel of information. And by the time we get to that game in Champagne in August, I mean, you'll be through the roof and you'll be so drunk on Kool-Aid, you won't remember what time kickoff is.
0: <laughs> I wish I was drunk on some no. on <laughs> some Harp or some Guinness. No, I know. And that's the thing. Out in Dublin.
3: But. Sharpie, are you going to be able to help me help Cranach through this disappointment? <laughs> Well, we've already got plans to get to Champaign, so we'll be there for Week Zero. But it's not it's not Dublin and Crayneck, brother. I know how how well a how much you love Ireland, but b Sharpie he, he needs a hug, man, and you're closer to him than I am right now.
1: Well, I, I will I will tell you this: uh, Nebraska is going to go to Dublin, Ireland. Uh, they will make a way to get there. It's just they're going to have to find an opponent that is a road opponent that is willing to take a big paycheck to take a Nebraska visit out of their community and move it to Dublin. But there is general interest in Nebraska's part in playing over there um, sooner than later. So, you know, just just hold off for maybe a year, two, three years, and they'll go over there and play. You know what? One thing about that, and and this was kind of, you know, we all anticipated, we've all been talking about this for a while, the game's going to move back to the mainland. I like the fact they kept it on week zero, mm-hmm. because I think yeah. if you move it to yeah. if you move it to week one, there's some really good Big Ten conference on conference crime games that you would get lost. Now you share, or you take the spotlight because there's only one other Power Five game on that weekend on week zero, and that's Hawaii and UCLA. There's already enough storylines being built in for Brett Bielema's debut on campus. What Scott Frost has to do in year four. I, I like it that it's a standalone it's a great opportunity for Nebraska to grab a lot of attention and uh, play on a stage where, oh by the way, that probably becomes the biggest game that Scott Frost has coached in Nebraska.
0: Well, and at least we know too that nobody's going to be able to say, "Oh, Nebraska are the only team to lose on two continents, like we know that's not happening this year mm, geez. which is wow. Yeah. Which is—it's wow. true that would happen. we wow. And now that's I, not I, going to happen. It's the silver line.
1: I—I only know Nebraska is a team that won against Kansas State in Japan.
3: Thank you. Okay. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's Very few teams have ago. won on Coca-Cola won. Bowl. Yeah.
1: Sharpie, you've got to—you've
3: got to have a, a divani story with that, don't you?
1: Um. Well. Okay. So here's <laughs> Monday after. Uh...
3: <laughs> well. See, we
1: can't tell. We can't tell the 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 fight between the Road Warriors and a couple of the black shirts
3: back then. This was like a this was a hotel, wasn't it? Was this Perella? It was in an
1: elevator. It was in an elevator early in the morning, and yeah, all heck broke loose. Um, But the day after, so Nebraska played, and they stayed over an extra day because they were going to tour the city. Devanny was going up to players and saying, "If you guys don't want to go and tour the city, we'll just go and we'll sit and drink all day." <laughs> oh, to yeah,
3: yeah,
1: yeah. oh, oh, the house we go.
3: <laughs> I was going say, yeah, I mean, what kind of, what kind of, tour, what kind of tour are we taking?
1: <laughs> so, so I, I don't know if any players took him up on the offer, but Bob Devaney consumed uh, quite, uh, let's say he just soaked in all of Tokyo.
3: And soaked in all of Tokyo. That's good. Uh,
0: um, <laughs> Gary, let's switch to baseball. <laughs> no, come on, let's <laughs> keep talking
3: soaking in Tokyo.
1: <laughs> Should we just keep talking it's, Bob Devaney stories? Like Bob Devaney, who, Bob Devaney, who as the athletic director one time, uh, young Gary Sharp, uh, Bob Devaney got lost in uh, South Stadium. He couldn't find where his office was.
0: Oh, my goodness. Did this have so to do with I, s- soaking up Lincoln?
1: I, <laughs> I, I escorted him it was, back.
3: It was the too. Tam O'Shanter involved?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know who has stories is his drivers. Um, but he also used to, you know, John Sanders was his guy, yes. and he would show up. You know, it, it didn't matter. The, the coach didn't know what time the game started for baseball. I mean, he that it was really even as an athletic director. Phew, you know, who cares? He asked, he asked once, asked Cal Benz. That's how he hired Cal Benz as a swimming coach at Nebraska. He asked him, have you ever had anybody drown? Cal Benz said no, and he goes, you're hired. Oh, no. um, but Devaney, Devaney would show up at the baseball games, and his driver, you know, would, would pull right up there to where Buck Belzer was, the entrance, and Devaney would slowly get out of the car, and he would shuffle his way into the ballpark and Buck Belzer had that gate right behind home plate that you can walk onto the field. Well, Devaney really didn't care or didn't realize or didn't see that the game was actually going on, and Devaney a couple of times in the middle of games would open up the gate to walk on the field while the game was going on. Oh, no. And John Sanders would have to call timeout, and he would go over, and then he would escort Coach to the dugout. And, you, know, he got, you know, Devaney was getting a little bit older. Uh, he, was, he shuffled. Well, then Devaney would sit in the corner of the dugout and just dog-cut the home plate umpire. And you could hear him. You could hear him if you were standing behind the backstop.
0: Uh, and that was when Nebraska was on the rise in quite a, bit of, quite a few sports. I, just, I mean, is Bill Moose drinking enough right now? Do we do we have to send him a bottle?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever have an athletic director that will be visited by Barry Switzer. On set delivering tacos. Or remember, here's the thing about Devaney is, and I wish I, I, I caught him at the tail end when, you know, when, when Coach wasn't in great shape. Bob Devaney, as an athletic director, had a gambling show on television. He would pick games against the spread. <laughs>
3: he had two coaches' really? shows, didn't he? He had one with, yeah. uh, with our, with, um, uh, he had, he had one, a, he, 10-11, and uh, he, had, he had the 10-11 show with the taco moment, right? Yep.
1: And then he had a, he had like a KTV show, I believe, but it wasn't called – it didn't have his name in it at all. It was like the Nebraska football show. Mm-hmm. But Devaney was on there, and he would pick games against the spread.
0: Oh, jeez. Yeah. Things have gotten so buttoned up since – then. can we talk baseball now? <laughs> I mean, I just I want to get into a few things. The schedule came – I miss this, by the way, if – I'm sure there's been an announcement. Are there fans in the stands, or is it a local decision? Just real quick. Do, do you know? uh, right now
1: it's uh, in the hands of the Big Ten, and, and the Big Ten has made no ruling. They would like no fans. Nebraska is uh, pushing, along with other teams in the Big Ten, to have some semblance of fans where they, they can get local approval and they can put it in the hands of local officials because Nebraska and other teams in the Big Ten are trying to position themselves for the fall where they can make decisions on their own and not the big 10 dictating how many people are in their stands. I think Nebraska baseball will have maybe not initially, but towards the end, a semblance of fans. I would be very disappointed on that Memorial day weekend when they played Michigan, mm. if you don't have, you know, at least 10, 20% capacity at Haymarket park.
0: Yeah. Okay. And that, and that's how Nebraska is going to close the regular season is against Michigan, but schedule comes out. And if you haven't looked at it yet, it's, you know, primarily Nebraska is just playing on the weekends. Uh, in most cases, a three-game series, but in some cases, it's it's like a pod, pool play type thing where, you know, you'll play four games, two against one opponent, two against another. Um, so it, it's interesting way of going about the schedule, and especially early, it gets interesting with Iowa because you get you get them once in, uh, or you get them twice in Minneapolis, and then you follow that up that very next weekend with a three-game series in Iowa city and Iowa. And according to some polls are, are picked ahead of Nebraska this year, but you're kind of front loaded on your schedule. You're getting some contenders early. Um, what, what do you think is the best case scenario for, for Nebraska? Are, are, are you trying to, are you trying for 500? Is that realistic um, over the first, maybe 10 or so games probably through the Maryland series or I, I don't know what, what, I, How well do you think Nebraska will fare up until you hit Penn State, which is you know kind of bottom of the barrel in the Big Ten?
1: Well, I, I think Nebraska feels like they're in a good position. They're ready to play. They've got their first three starters are all locked in. The fourth one will be uh, you know kind of a mixture of arms. I think they like where they're at. Where they're going to be able to get off to a good start. I think to get in the NCAA tournament out of this league, you're going to need to be probably I don't know ten ten games above five hundred. You know, let's say there's 44 scheduled. Let's be realistic. Maybe you'll lose four, six games possibly. I think you got to be 10 games above 500 uh, to get into the NCAA tournament because I, I don't know what the committee will do looking at the Big Ten, not knowing you know, how, how good Michigan is, how good Indiana is, how good Ohio State is. But Nebraska is really not on the radar to begin the year. I think if you're 10 games above 500 and you beat those teams that I just mentioned, you win series against them, then I think Nebraska's in a good spot for the uh, NCAA tournament. Here's the thing why it's a conference-only schedule. I got this straight from the horse's mouth. The Big Ten treats baseball just like they would treat field hockey, badminton, um, high-lie, whatever sport is being offered <laughs> in the Big Ten. They're treating it exactly the same. That's why there was no exception for scheduling in the Big Ten, they went straight across the board. They didn't think otherwise. That's why it's a conference-only schedule. Man,
3: Sharpie, uh, a thought here before we wrap up. A uh, couple of big announcements for a top five today with some Metro talent uh, when it comes to uh, the the twenty twenty-two crew. Uh, and I'm I'm interested to kind of get your feel and vibe uh, with Woods and uh, Jackson with not only their view on Nebraska, in your opinion, but also the other three kids, uh, the, the Bellevue West products with Helms and Riley Ducker and, and Houseman, of course, from Columbus. Now, we touched on it last week. I want you to take uh, this week um, with Nebraska. And, you know, where's the door at right now with Nebraska and these in-state kids for, for 2022? Is the door shut? Is it cracked? Is it locked? How do you kind of view it as we're still a ways away from December?
1: So prepare yourself. I don't think either Devin Jackson or Deshaun Woods they will have Nebraska in the top five. I don't think that means Nebraska is completely done. But what is Nebraska selling? Nebraska to Omaha kids are selling, hey, we were good once again. Help us run it back, essentially. That message is not going over very well in Omaha. Um, And then when you don't have results on the field, it's a tough sell especially for players who got really, really good offers that are above your offer, and they didn't grow up with a dream of playing in Lincoln. Um, Nebraska could go, guys, 0 for 5 of the top five players. I think they'll probably get two of them, but brace yourself. They could go 0 for 5 with the top five players in the state this upcoming year, Um, and Nebraska has to win on the field for that to change. Um, I also think they have to change their pitch. And I think it would also help if they had somebody, along with Barrett Rudin, Scott Frost, recruiting Omaha. I, I think they need, they need some fresh blood also in-state that is not, hey, he played here in Nebraska. My mom and dad remember Rudin for him. They need, they need the big hitters to come out in-state. I think in-state kids would like to be treated like of the kids are when it comes to recruiting. Um, you know, Nebraska's done a better job of identifying early, if you already look at what they're doing for 23, but – can they close? That's another thing. Is Scott Frost a closer out-of-state, in-state? But I don't think those uh, two today will announce the Nebraska's in the top five. Not over Nebraska will continue to recruit them. Remember, Nick Henrich and Chris Hickman, they were a little bit iffy on Nebraska. They both had ended up in, in Lincoln. But it'll be, it'll be very interesting to watch the class of 2022 in-state, how it develops and what they think of Nebraska and what effect that has down the road if Nebraska still can't rack up victories to sell over, hey, we're selling tradition and history.
3: What, real quick, you know, where could Nebraska turn for that, that reinforcement in state? Is there somebody on staff? Do they hire somebody that's more contemporary? And I'm not saying Barrett's old. I'm, he's not. But, I mean, is there somebody that's, that's maybe a little bit uh, less well, removed from the program that the sure. kids may recognize?
1: So, Barrett is, is good, but Barrett is still young in his development. I'll tell you, the two guys that would hit home, Travis Fisher and Tony Tuyote. And Tuyote is twofold. He's an excellent recruiter. And remember, he also has a son that has a Nebraska offer. So, he can, you know, play both sides of the fence. I think, I think they need to change their approach at Omaha. And their selling point of, instead of, hey, we had success in the past, we feel like you can be part of it. They've got to go with something else because that message is not resonating as well as they thought it would with Omaha
3: kids. Mm. Mm. Well, we'll see where Nebraska makes their adjustment and see how things look after today. Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse. Sharpie, have a great weekend, man. Thanks again for jumping in with us today. Oh, shit, shit, yeah. yeah. Thank you, boys. Let's <laughs> soak you, up Gary. Tokyo, right? We went all over the place. This was the biggest kind of potpourri show that we've had in hey, a while. Why not? Why not? Well, Craig I'm going to be in Arizona. So you uh, rock it next week, okay?
0: Sweet. It'll be all Devaney stories. Beautiful. Hollywood. All right. Have a good weekend.